Welcome to the Law Firm Growth Podcast, where we share the latest tips, tactics, and strategies for scaling your practice from the top experts in the world of growing law firms. Are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jan Roos, and I am here with a guest that I am very excited for, who is Steve Fretzen. So Steve is the president and founder of Fretzen Inc., a three-time author and a guy that I cannot believe I didn't find out about until recently because he talks about one of my favorite subjects, which is how lawyers can get more business through intake sales, business development. We're going to get into the distinction in a little bit, but thanks for coming on the show, Steve. Yeah, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. All right. Awesome. So I wanted to ask one thing, and I noticed that there's a lot of, it seems like there's some intentionality behind this, but you're very focused on the term business development. So I wanted to just kind of start off with a definition. How do you separate business development from, you know, what some people would call intake and what I would say only the bravest in the legal space refer to as sales? It's tricky. The word sales and business development are the same. The lawyers, generally speaking, don't want to call it sales. It's it's a bad word. It's a four-letter word, if you will. So they came up with the term business development, and that is even so scary that they call it marketing, and it's absolutely not marketing. So it's interesting how you know the gentle egos have to twist the words so that they can get comfortable. And and I and I get why because you know I've talked to enough lawyers that the, the idea that in a very noble profession, okay, and to think of themselves as salespeople is absolutely against every grain and everything that they've been working for their whole career. And so the idea that they have to go out and get clients and that, that we call it marketing or business development or intake, now that's sort of what we have to fall back on because of the uh, of the scary word sales. Okay, gotcha. And then as far as like, I mean, in, in some of the things that like, I don't know, I try to follow a lot of different sources uh, from different things. I've seen the distinction made sort of some people refer to business development as kind of the thing that leads to the conversation. Like in a lot of situations with like a SaaS company, some people refer to like the sales development rep as a business development role, as opposed to the account executive with a sales role. Would you make that same distinction? Do you think it's kind of a different process the way that you look at it? I mean, there's, you ask a hundred people, you're going to get a hundred different answers. Right. <laughs> I think my, my answer in being in legal, legal business development for, you know, the last 15 plus years is business development is the personal actions that someone needs to take to bring in new business. So whatever that involves, prospecting, networking, getting in front of a new prospective client, locking up that business through having a good process of walking a buyer through a buying decision, following through, maintaining those relationships, that's all business development. And the, the question I generally get, Jan, is, the difference between business development and marketing and marketing is the other piece of it where it's the website, it's the messaging, it's the branding, it's the newsletter, it's all the things that support the business development efforts. And sometimes they overlap, but that's my feeling about business development. And I really work on all of those skills with my clients and even drip into marketing and branding, but that's sort of how I see business development. Okay. Awesome. And if I could go so far as to kind of clarify, it's sort of like business development is the personal actions you're taking. And then the stuff that's a little bit different would like the marketing would be an umbrella that wouldn't count the stuff at scale and that kind of stuff. Right. Some people have described a business development as more one-to-one and marketing more like one-to-many. So okay. that's an easier way to break it down. So if I'm networking with you to figure out how we can help each other and refer each other, that's going to be more of a business d- development activity. However, if I 
put up an, a billboard on the highway, well, that's going to be more of a marketing activity. Okay. Gotcha. All right. And sorry for being a uh, super nitpicky at the beginning. I just kind of wanted to get the, uh, no, the- I, it's a good question. And I don't think that there's any kind of, I wish I had a more direct, this is the answer that everyone must use. It's not, it's not quite so formal. Well, it's so funny too, because I mean, I think it's like a lot of stuff in this realm too. It's like, you know, whenever you put an ad up for somebody who's like, oh yeah, we need to hire a marketer. Like you'll get resumes from people like, oh yeah, like here's my Etsy shop. I do all these designs and they'll have people like, yeah, I've been doing extremely technical SEO for the last like 10 years or whatever. It's just one of these kind of nebulous terms. But I think as far as like the personal accountability that's tied into the business development, I think it's a really, really important factor. So I wanted to actually switch and zoom in a little bit, actually, because one of the things you mentioned that I was really interested to talk to you about is networking. And I think it's something that everyone can relate to because I think every attorney essentially starts there the day they end up hanging their shingle. So what separates people that ultimately end up becoming rainmakers and making money? What are they doing differently than the people that end up in the same place 10 years from now? I would say one of the biggest things that good networkers do is they learn. And if you, you know, there's an old saying in sales, and I'll use the, the bad S word again. <laughs> there's a guy with 10 years of sales experience. And the question that I would ask is, do you have 10 years of sales experience or do you have one year of sales experience 10 times? And I think networking is very much the same. There's people that just get out there. Hey, you got to get out there. You got to be out there. You got to be visible. And that's fine, except lawyers are billable and billable hours are money. So time is literally money. And if you're just blowing it by attending things and showing up and, and glad handing and passing out cards and just doing whatever you think you should do, that's going to be a real time suck. And you're not going to get the kinds of results you're looking for. So what's separating good networkers from bad networkers is a good networkers generally have a process. They generally have figured either figured things out through learning or figured things out through hard knocks, whatever the case, they're not doing the same things they were doing year one. And the other thing that I would say is it separates is there's three kinds. I talk about in my, my second book, the networking handbook, there's three kinds of networkers. There's takers who are the people that just want to sell you stuff. They just want to try to, you know, sap your network of its value for them. That's what they care about. That's why they're there. There's also givers, true givers. These are the people that go out and their intentions is to help everybody develop the relationships, develop the karma, develop that brand that everybody is attracted to. Then there's the middle group, and I call these people apparent givers. These are the people that talk a big game, but don't actually follow through. They don't actually have the organizational skills or the follow-through skills to make it happen. And they're not bad people. I think generally they just don't get it. Like they don't understand that, that if you make a commitment and you don't follow through, you're missing the whole idea about what makes someone a good networker. So that's how I kind of put it into categories. So when I teach people networking, they can't look in the mirror and say, they look and say, hey, I'm that apparent giver. Wait a second. I need to change some of the things I'm doing. Yeah. Well, that takes a lot of self-insight too to be able to make that a bit. I, mean, I think a lot of people think themselves as givers at the end of the day, but you no, know, that actually really made me think of something interesting just as far as that apparent giver too, because I mean, for one thing, it's obviously a bad look because it's like the integrity that you're showing somebody that you network with is the integrity you're going to ultimately show any business that they send your way, Right. But I was kind of thinking about this. I forget who I was talking to. This was off the podcast, just in my personal life. It was just like, yeah, I, mean, I think about the big referral relationships that we've had as an agency. There's been two. And I could probably say for every conversation that ended up turning into something that actually was closed business, I probably had 10 that ended on exactly as positive as a note, but ended up not materializing anyways. And now I'm starting to wonder if <laughs> these guys were apparent givers, right? And then the thing is that I teach my clients is that not all apparent givers 
you know, throw the fish back. It's too small or throw the fish back. It smells funny. It's sometimes about being a good coach. So I consider myself a true giver. I've been doing this for 17 years. I've got a long history of networking and, and have figured out all the kind of the place to make it effective and efficient. That's why I'm good at what I do teaching attorneys because they need the process that they were never taught at law school or at the law firm level. But the point of me of this is I sometimes will identify someone who has a great network. They're great at what they do. Everything lines up. The stars line up. Everything's great. They just don't have the organizational skills or they don't have the follow-up skills or something is missing. I didn't do a very good job of coaching them to the specific person or people or type that I want to meet. So what I'm doing now is teaching my clients to take the apparent giver and at least be a good coach. And if that turns an apparent giver into a real giver for you, that might be worth something. Okay. If you do all that coaching and it still goes foul on you, well, then you, you know that you can move on to the next person that this person isn't going to be someone that you're going to move, move, you know, upward. Right. And that's interesting too, because it's almost like a, like a due diligence process. Like, you know, it's kind of like, you know, Schrodinger's apparent giver until you can, <laughs> you know, their quality until proven otherwise. Right. Yeah. Well, a big part of networking from my perspective is testing. And that sounds a bit aggressive or it sounds a bit off-putting to some people. However, when you realize how much time you can invest in networking with the wrong people or doing things inefficiently or ineffectively, et cetera, it adds up. I mean, there are people doing two, three, 400 hours a year in business development, quote unquote, business development efforts, networking. They're in all these groups and everything, and they're not really getting the squeeze out of the fruit. So the idea that we could we could train someone, test someone, see how they play, and if they're great, keep it going. And if they're terrible, throw them back. And that's okay. That doesn't mean you can't stay friends. It doesn't mean you can't keep them on your LinkedIn. They're not bad people necessarily, but not everybody's going to be a fit. A little bit like if here's the best analogy I can give you is I'm a baseball scout and I've got to scout all the right places to find the best talent. And in doing so, I test the talent and bring the talent up to eventually make it to my major league club. Okay. However, is that mean out of a hundred people that, that five or 10 come up? Yeah. It doesn't mean a hundred people. I can't have a hundred people on my team. How would I even follow through with all those people? And most of those people are terrible anyway. So you really are trying to pick the, the, the best people to move up that, that are synergistic with you. That make sense for you that are givers and all the things align. Those are the people you want to bring up. And then you have to maintain once you've, once you've figured it out. Yeah. It's really interesting, Steve, because I've always kind of thought about networking as sort of like a nebulous thing. And it's kind of funny. I have to say, I can't really put into words what actually makes people good networkers. I've always kind of considered it more of like a uh, a harder to measure thing. But like you've, you've added this layer of analytics and testing and process on it, which is super, super interesting. And it reminds me of like some of the stuff like, you know, you hear this in a lot of domains too. It's like we do tests when we're running ads for kind of stuff. Like I have a situation where we're doing a, high, a hire for our ISA team right now. Our first test is I'm having every single one of them record a voicemail. And if they sound if they sound like they're disengaged or I don't you know if they have some crazy accent or they're too breathy or something like that, that's sort of a test, right? But to get to like the nitty gritty, like I hope this isn't too much secret sauce, but like what's an example of a kind of test that you'd recommend running for somebody that you're considering to bring on the team? So here's something that I do in, so let's say that you and I are networking together for the first time and, and we're back having a coffee, okay? Or on Zoom, it doesn't matter. And we build a little rapport. And then I, I say, hey, would it be okay just to make the best use of our time to set an agenda or a meeting for or a, a game plan for our, our, the rest of our time together? And you say, sure, that makes sense. So now I'm setting an agenda. And one of the agenda items that I'm going to include is 
you know, Jan, at the end of the meeting, if we feel like there's some synergy and we want to just kind of take a baby step forward to just test the waters a bit, maybe we come up with some small way to help each other at the end of the meeting and we'll just see how that goes. Are you open to that? You say yes, because why are you meeting with me? Yeah. You're meeting with me for something. You're not meeting with me for your health, right? <laughs> you're, you're a lawyer in criminal. I'm a lawyer in family. And the reality is that we probably run into some things that we can refer each other from time to time, correct? Yeah, of course. However, we're not going to do that. What we're going to do generally is we're going to say, this was great. Great meeting you. We'll keep our eyes open and I'm never going to see you again. I'm never going to hear from you again. You're a distant memory in five minutes. That's what most networking is. What I'm suggesting is that at the end of the meeting, we take 10 minutes and I'm listening to you talk about the kinds of people that you want to meet and I'm taking notes. And then at the end of the meeting, I can say, you know, Jan, in hearing what you do, I think I've got some context that could be really interesting for you. Do you mind if we take a moment to go through them? And then we do. And then I say, and just hearing what I do in my family practice, you know, are there people that you think I should be meeting? And you know that I mentioned, I like to network with financial planners. I like to meet with CPAs. I like to meet with other, other lawyers. And you, you give me one or two. Now we have something to do for each other. Now, that's not where it ends. That's where it starts. Now, I say to you, why don't we put something in the calendar a week from now and let's follow up and see how we do for each other. We'll, we'll certainly talk in between them, but let's make an introduction or two, see how it goes. You not only blow me off on the call that we have scheduled, but when I reply to you and say, hey, I wanted to touch base, you don't even respond to that. You didn't follow through on getting me the introduction that you had mentioned. What's my test identifying? Not You're what? Yet. Are you a taker, a giver, a real <laughs> yeah. giver or an apparent giver? Uh, parent giver, I would say. That's it. You've been labeled. Okay. Now I coached you. We talked it through and now you've proven yourself unreliable, untrustworthy, commitment broken. So I either give you a second chance because I'm desperate or I've got so many people <laughs> that I just move on. For me, I'm moving on. For other people, they might give you the benefit of the doubt. Maybe you were in some terrible car accident. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> These days we have to at least ask. But that's the kind of stuff that I'm doing in, in teaching and networking so that there is a process, there is a way to test. And it's not some complicated algorithm. It's pretty simple. You either follow through or you don't. You know, I'm not telling you to give me your top client. It's give me something small. Give me something small to do for you. I'm going to give you something small to do for me. Let's see if you can actually commit to something. It's like that Seinfeld. Are you a Seinfeld fan or no? A little bit. A little bit. Okay. The there's, a sign, there's a Seinfeld where he gets a reservation at a car rental. And they say, we don't have a car for you. And he goes, well, you know, and he's trying to understand this. He goes, but you, you can take the reservation. You just don't understand. You have to hold the reservation. And that's sort of the most important part. Right. right? right. And so he's goofing on in front of his friend, this, this agent who doesn't have a car for him and should. So that's the kind of stuff that we want to just test people out on. Well, I got to say what, what I find super brilliant about that is like you kind of see like the uh, the bloat that a lot of networking ends up taking on kind of like speaking to some personal experience. Back in the day, I actually started out in BNI, which was an interesting experience to say the least. But you saw these guys that were just there every single week spinning their wheels, trying to be the you know the best best Boy Scout for the group. And you have attorneys that are meeting with massage therapists and, you know, uh, <laughs> uh doulas and all this kind of stuff and they're racking up all the coffee meetings but like the bloat really is in the follow-up it's the same thing as like you know a traditional sales process like you know if you can get a yes or a no that's infinitely better for you than some indefinite maybe that you're going to be committing to a coffee meeting every six weeks until the sun burns out right yeah i mean i, I take that to the highest extent in in teaching lawyers that no is the second best outcome they can ever get to and they feel like that's 
challenging for them because we're all, you know, hungry for business and anxious for business and we don't want to let anything go. And once they realize that by letting go of somebody that you've tested out and that has failed, it's absolute release of free time and energy and negative energy and hope. And hope is a terrible thing. Now, that is not the case in Shawshank Redemption. Andy Dufresne, hope is is everything to him, right? But in, in business development, hope is a killer because we sit and we wait and we wonder and we hope and we think it's going to happen. And it just sits in our stomach like a knot. And I hate it. I want to understand what's going on. I want to understand what's next. What did somebody commit to? Did they follow through? If not, why not? Like I need to know. And if it means that I can move them to a no quickly and get my time back, then I win. If I get the business, get the referral, get the next step, then I win. And that's what I'm looking for. It's it's I'm looking for the truth. I'm looking for what's real and everything else that's BS and that's just mumbo jumbo. How fast can I get rid of it? No one has time for that. Yeah, I agree. And it's kind of interesting because I feel like a lot of the norms that for whatever reason have kind of cropped up in business culture, like this is something I found really funny. So I actually had a a professor back in college and uh, he was actually a banker in Switzerland for a while. And he said, basically the way that they do business over there is you don't end up asking, like you just really just shoot the breeze for the entire dinner and you don't talk about it until the check's already been settled. And it's just like, there's norms like this all over the place where like, you know, just to play devil's advocate, it's like some people would say, okay, I'm setting an agenda. I don't want to be a jerk. I don't want to be icky. But at the end of the day, the icky situation is what ends up spawning from that fruitless meeting that you've been chasing ghosts around for the last six months, right? Yeah. And again, agendas aren't for every single scenario. If I'm meeting with someone for the strict purpose of building relationship, period, there is no agenda. The agenda is nothing. I just want to do my research. I want to talk about things that are interesting to them. I want to ask a lot of questions. And I want to build that relationship so that when we leave that meeting, not only do we have a little bit of a love fest, but they want to meet again because now we can talk business. But if I'm meeting with a stranger from a networking group or from a Zoom networking meeting, and I'm calling stranger danger, (laughs) I'm going to set that agenda because I don't want to be on that call for more than 30 minutes. I want to see what the traction is. I want to test the waters and I want to know what's going on. And if I set the agenda like this, in order to make the best use of our time, Jan, would it be all right just to set a quick game plan for our meeting? If you don't agree to that, you're out of your mind and I want out. Because what I said was to make the best use of our time. If somebody's not interested in making the best use of our time, then why do I want to spend any more time with that lunatic? I'm out the door. Yeah. Okay. That that's the first test. <laughs> they don't agree to that. <laughs> exactly Get out. Right. <laughs> right. And then the other test, the other tests are a little easier or a little, yeah. a little more challenging, I should say, down the road. Anyway. Yeah. So you're kind of making a this is kind of reminding me of some other stuff too. So I think one of the challenges that I see a lot of people having with networking in general that I'm seeing hints of how the process can uh, fix this is that basically like, you know, think about the person who's holding, you know, a weekly or a monthly or a quarterly quota. There's kind of a dilemma with how people are able to predict how these things play out. But does this kind of process of building up these relationships lead to like any more predictability and kind of the process in, in your mind? Yeah, it leads to a lot more predictability. And the main reason is, is that when you're not, you're not just building relationships. And as I mentioned, you're trying to find people that you can move upward and inward into your network, people that are going to be good referral sources. A question, this is the best question I'll give you. This, this is worth every minute that I'm on the show for the people listening. Okay. I ask this question and and teach my clients to ask this question on a regular basis. So let's say again, 
you're a criminal attorney. I'm a family attorney. We're networking because there may be ways to help each other. If I asked you in an average year, Jan, how often are you coming across family matters where a divorce is eminent or they need a prenup or they need something to deal with the family thing? In an average year, how often is that coming up for you? Yeah, I'll say 20. Yeah. 20. So you say 20. Maybe I want to find out what you do with those people. How are you handling them today? You might say, Steve, I've got 10 family lawyers I've known for 20 years that I would feed that to. And you're on the bottom of the list. Well, that's very different than I just throw the, I don't, I just tell them I don't do that. Well, that's 20 new clients that I could potentially have every single year if I keep in the loop with you. So we're qualifying people in this testing process. It's also about qualifying, which is a very important word. And one of the top qualifiers is, does the person have the ability to refer? And I have an, I mean, just today I spoke to, I got an email from a client. He met with someone, they're both in the M&A space. Okay. And he met with the guy and the guy told him he's got like 20 or 30 attorney, M&A attorneys that feed him business. So this lawyer's going, well, then how am I going to ever get a referral from you? If you already have 20, 30 attorneys that are already feeding you a bunch of work, wouldn't that M&A consultant be in his best interest to feed back the people that are feeding him already? The answer is, of course. Yeah. So he's not fishing in the right pond. He's got to disqualify and move on. And that's what I'm going to advise him to do. Yeah. Even though I made the introduction, by the way, I did a poor job of qualifying enough for him, but I just, they're both in the same space. I thought there could be something there and there could have been. Turns out there isn't and move on. That's okay. Yeah. This guy needs to save some time anyway. Yeah. So uh, actually it's, it's kind of interesting. So Obviously, this isn't a practice that a lot of people follow because you see a lot of really dumb, fruitless like relationships that are pers- persisting for a super long time. I want to transition a little bit to mindset. How much do you think the result is today with people not doing this because they don't know the process? And how much do you think is because people don't want to ask that question and find out that their golden referral source is really a, you know, a dog at the end of the day? Well, I mean, are we talking about mindset to do business development, to go out and do it and get it and, and be that lawyer, that type of thing? Yeah. Okay. I would say it's 50%. They know what to do, but they just don't do it because they're busy and they're happy and they're comfortable. They know that it's important. And then the other 50% are just lost. They don't know the first thing. They don't have a plan. They don't have the relationships or if, even if they do, they're uncomfortable asking for anything. They think that it's again, sales is a dirty word. So why would I want to do any of that? And so they're basically just handcuffed because at the end of the day, what makes a lawyer successful? And this is sad. It used to be a Harvard degree and it used to be how many you know wins you have in court. And today it's, what's your book? If any lawyer goes to a recruiter and says, I want to leave my big firm and I want to go to another firm. First question, what's your book? And if it isn't a half a million or more, you're probably not going to be moving. You're going to stay where you are in most cases, unless there's an opening or a need. So this is an important thing, but it's not for everybody. I mean, there's there's always going to be people that just want to crank out work and, and, and do everyone else's uh, work with everyone else's clients. That's fine. That's why I, I really only work, Jan, with the top 5% of what I would consider ambitious attorneys. So it's not about intelligence. It's not about pedigree. It's not about what firm they're with. They could be a solo. They could be at a big firm. They could have a $10 million book or no book at all. I don't care. It's their mindset. And you hit on it right away. It's what's their attitude? What's their mindset? Are they open to learning? Are they open to taking coaching? Are they ambitious? That's what matters to me. And those are the people I work with. If they don't fit in that category, 
they're out. I have no interest. I have no time. I'm a one-man show, and I've got to be very careful and critical about who I bring in into my space, into my programs that are going to be successful and get results because that reflects on me. Yeah, of course. I mean, like that's actually really interesting to hear too, because it's like, it's not about where you're at. It's about where you're going to be, but more importantly, what you're willing to pay to, to get there. Right. And it's in terms of help. It's in terms of the emotional awareness to see where you're really at and face those scary things. Right. But you also bring uh, something I want to kind of dig into a little bit more, just like people that are just kind of complacent. Right. So I know you're dealing mostly with the top 5%. But as far as the situation with like, why do you think people don't, you know, why do you think there's so many complacent lawyers out there? Do you think they don't know that they can do it? Or do you think they're, they're not, they're not aware of it? Again, either they're busy and they're just stuck. You know, you're stuck doing everyone's work. You're, you're making good money. You're bringing home the bacon to the family and you're not concerned about the future and having your own clients because look, we just had, you know, this nasty pandemic and in, in a potential recession. I think we're in a recession, although most of the lawyers I talked to are having their best years ever. So what are we all worried about? There's nothing to worry about is what people think. And that's just a bad idea. It's like saying, Hey, I'm not worried about getting hurt. So I, I shouldn't have, ins- I don't need insurance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know that that's, that's the way to go. So I think it's, it's either, again, they don't know. They're either stuck in the situation where business development isn't that important to them. And they're, they're just kind of working through whatever the day is from day to day. Or again, they're just, it's so scary to ask for help or to show weakness or to feel in what they don't understand is that the strong hire the coach. It's not the weak that hires the coach. It's the strong. I mean, think about all the best uh, CEOs, the best athletes, they all have coaches. Well, why it's because they're weak. No, of course it's not because they're weak. (laughs) I mean, it's because they're the strongest in the business. They don't want to stop learning. They don't want to stop getting better. They understand. And what I do is I, I sit down with an attorney in 30 minutes. I understand just about everything. I'm like, somebody just called me the, the lawyer whisper. I didn't call myself that. My estate planning client, uh, who's wonderful, Nina did. But it's because what I do is I can, I've been in the, in the in trenches so long. I can ask enough questions and hear exactly what that lawyer is doing, not doing, should be doing strong, weak. And I can do, I can essentially see like a pile of money, like forming in front of us that they're just walking around every day. They're not going after And a lot of it's because they just don't know how they just don't have the comfort, confidence or the actual process to do it. So there's a lot of, there's a big gap here that you're, I think, observing as we're talking through this. And unfortunately it's not taught in law school and it's not really taught at the law firm level. So lawyers have this education gap between where they are and where they need to be related to marketing and business development and running a business, quite frankly. And that's where, you know, I don't come in on all those sections, but I come in on one of them to help make sure people are not only providing for their family today, but that can provide for the rest of their career. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's interesting you bring that up. It's like, the people don't look for help if they think that it's not something that's possible. And I think like overall, there's a situation where to like to reach out to the coach to to even Google how to get more business for my law practice. Like it takes a moment of vulnerability. And I think a lot of people uh, and let me know if you agree with this. It's just like it, they're they're more comfortable with feeling smart in the moment than temporarily feeling dumb to actually have the success that they, they tell themselves that they want. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny. So the most recent article that I wrote for, I write for the Chicago Daily Law Bulletin here in Chicago, and I've been doing that for five years, a monthly column. And the most recent article, it's being published tomorrow, or I guess, I don't know when this is going to, when this is going to post, but in, in March of 2021, 
And it's, it's the five traits or characteristics of people that should never hire a coach. And so I go through the actual five points of what someone, if someone's reading that and they go, oh, that's me, I'm a narcissist. I only, you know, this, that, and the other, or I'm, you know, I'm short-sighted or I'm this or I'm that, then, then a coach is not for me. And it's a little tongue in cheek, but it hits the point that coaching isn't for everyone. You really have to be a little vulnerable and be open and be, you know, coachable to, to, to want to improve something. I don't care if that's becoming a better musician, a better cook or a better lawyer. I mean, think about the lawyers. Uh, could you be a good lawyer without a mentor, without somebody taking you into court and, and helping you get through 10 trials? Hell no. Yeah. No one's doing that. Business development's no different. You, you need help. You can't do it on your own or you're going to spin through a lot of hours, which again, it has worked for some people. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah. So I want to move towards imagining somebody who hits zero of those five filters. So somebody who's good, they're ready to rock, they're, they're good to yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's talk about goal setting for a second. Because like I know it's like, you know, I, we haven't spoken about your specific coaching process, Steve, but I'm sure that goal setting is part of it. So like, let's kind of take through, like, how do you end up figuring out, you know, you're talking about visualizing the pile of money. How are you kind of assessing what somebody's potential is? And how hard do you encourage people to lean into those goals? Like how big is too big? So it's what I call realistic, but high, but realistic. So what we do is we look at, so let's say there's an attorney who has a million dollar book and wants to grow it from there. And we identify at the full service firm that he or she is not cross-marketing at all, meaning bringing in no business for anyone else other than him or herself. Okay. That could be one pile of money. Then also this, this same lawyer has 30 or 40 clients that believe that she walks on water, a most amazing lawyer, compliments flying every, every single month, okay? And has never leveraged those clients for quality introductions to get into, uh, to meet other general counsels, other CEOs. That's another pile of money we just identified, okay? And the list goes on and on. We can keep going until we figure out like, what are the best two or three things that that lawyer should be doing and based on execution on those two or three things, what does the growth look like? And also, how much time does that lawyer have? If the lawyer's billing 60 hours a week, they're not going to spend another 20 a week doing business development, really. Yeah, so not for long. we have to also look at, well, right, or can we figure out how to delegate? I mean, that's another thing I help lawyers with is they're doing way too much and they're not delegating to associates. They're not delegating to paralegals. They're not outsourcing marketing. They're not outsourcing things, administrative burden. And so it's all about efficiency. So how do I clear the, you know, clear out the space so that the lawyer has an opportunity to really hit it hard and go after the things that we agree make sense. So it's about writing, a, it's about having a written plan. And within that plan, we establish what the numbers are and the goals are. And then we break it down into actionable, tactical things that need to happen every single day. And if they do, the result is that type of gr dramatic growth. If they commit to things and then blow it off or commit to things and don't execute, well, then again, we're, we're, we're leaving it out in the wind and whatever happens, happens. I try to disqualify, again, working with the top 5%, it disqualifies a lot, of, a lot of people that aren't going to follow through. I mean, between the time they invest with me, the money they invest in me, and the commitment that I'm asking them to make, I make a lot less mistakes than I used to as far as bringing in the wrong people who promise the world and then don't follow through. And that doesn't mean emergencies don't happen. Babies happen, right? I think I've heard you've heard that babies happen. Yeah. You know, courts <laughs> used to happen. There's things that stand in the way between lawyers and business development and putting their foot down on the pedal. We have to work through them. 
we have to always work through them and we just, it just never stops. We just have to keep pushing forward. That's, that's what anyone would do to wants to change and grow and evolve. You can't just, can't just say, oh, woe's me. Yeah. Gotcha. This might be a softball, but you, you mentioned daily activity, right? Why not monthly activity, Steve? Why not weekly activity? It could be daily, could be weekly, could be monthly. It's really up. Yeah, I'm sorry. It it really depends on what, how much activity the lawyer needs. And so let's say, for example, that we agree that you want to get in front of, you know, three, three new people a week. Well, you could take 15 minutes on a Monday morning and send out five emails and three of them come back as appointments. Well, there you go. Hmm. So that, that 15 minutes led to three 30 or 45 minute meetings. And so there's your weekly activity and that'll add up for the month. If somebody wants to do less, uh, they can do less. It really depends on what goal they're looking for and how quickly they want to get there. Okay, gotcha. And then as far as how people are keeping track on progress, it's like, do you recommend any sort of like tools or I don't know, like tracking systems, CRM, that kind of stuff for, for keeping track of all this? Yeah, so I'm friends with you know the, the folks over at Lawmatics and I'm friends with um, one or two other folks that do CRMs for lawyers. And that's fine. If I can get someone on a CRM, that's always the best way to go. The reality is that 95% of the attorneys that I come in contact with and work with, they don't want another piece of software. And that's unfortunate because they really would really help them with efficiency. They just don't want it. So we end up putting together a, what I call a success journal. And this is where they track their daily activity, weekly activity, and we are able to review it together. And for me as a coach, it's amazing because I'm getting their daily, weekly, monthly stats. And so again, can a baseball batting coach help someone without seeing them swing and without knowing their, their stats? Probably not. So I need that same kind of information from my clients. And then I'm able to really you know pinpoint where the mistakes are happening, where their conversion issues are happening. And that way we're able to make better decisions about how to make improvements. Okay. Yeah. That's really interesting. And like, I think, um, this is something I've spoken about on, uh, I think I did this on a webinar not too long ago, but basically, yeah, it's like, I feel like a lot of people look at the whole process of getting new businesses, like such a binary. It's like, did we, did we hit our target or did we not? And it's like, well, you know, it doesn't matter how many emails did you send out? How many meetings did you have? How many consultations did you have? There's always like more granular levels that somebody can look into to, to kind of see what, you know, what, where the, really the red dot to focus on is and whatever's happening in the process. But another thing I wanted to reach out to, which I think is really interesting. I don't think enough people talk about is this whole thing of client referrals. You know, why spend time trying to, you know, get in front of the person who has 30 other lawyers that are referring to him when you have these people who know probably the most high resolution view of what exactly you can do as an attorney. I think it's kind of uncommon. And I'll actually just kind of speak to something that's that I've always thought about a lot. When do you ask for the referral for a client, right? I think there's always kind of a, a feeling of closure. And I, I always find our, ourselves, and honestly, like I have tough times recommending this for, for the people who are client success managers in my business, because there's sort of a, a sense of closure after the services have been rendered, but you always tell yourself you're going to ask for the referral later, right? So when do you, when do you ask people to, uh, to go ahead and, and ask for the referrals? Yeah, that's a great question. And it, it, the answer is it depends. If you're doing a real estate closing, you know, you might have to do it at the end of the real estate closing because if once they're gone, they might be gone for a while. If it's one of these institutional clients or relationships that's ongoing, well, that makes it a little easier. But I would say it happens, it happens when you've, you've earned it from being a great lawyer, you've earned it from being responsive, you've gone above and beyond the, the, the call of duty, if you will. 
And once you've earned it, you can ask. And, and then the question lawyers have, and this is what drives them nuts, is they're they're terrified of making the ask. That's like the number one, like if we're playing family feud, like number one on the board <laughs> yeah. would be would be fear of the ask. And that's what I teach lawyers is how to make the ask. There are very soft and very nurturing, consultative, however you want to view it, uh, ways of doing it that take a lot of the salesiness out of it. And actually that's that's sort of my MO, I think maybe above everything is I try to take the salesiness out of business development. My first book's called Sales Free Selling, and it's called that for a reason because selling sucks, being sold to sucks, nobody likes it, it's no fun, and, uh, and, and that's not an appropriate way to behave anyway. What people would really have appreciate is relationships, consultation, great questions, walk a buyer through a buying decision. Once you've developed the relationship you've won for the client, you just need to make sure you have a really good, soft approach. And I, I can give you an example if that'd be helpful, Yeah, That'd be fantastic. So this is one that I call uh, okay, not okay. And my clients, are if they're listening to this, they're going to roll their eyes because they, they, they know I like this one. If you're uncomfortable asking for an introduction from a client that you know would give you one if you asked because they think you're the best, admit that you're not okay with it. Admit that you're not comfortable with it especially if you're an introvert, you're definitely going to get away with it. I think it has to be done with integrity. I don't think you do it just to do it. But it, but to say to a client, look, there's something I've been meaning to ask you. And if I'm being honest, I'm very uncomfortable with it because it goes against the grain for me. It's not something I've ever done and, and whatever. But I know that you've been happy with the services that I've provided over the last number of years. There's probably other companies that you have relationships with, you know, CFOs and CEOs that I could be working with and helping the same way I'm helping you, Jan. But I, but I don't know them. And, and it would be so much easier for, for me if you could make an introduction, but I don't want to overstep any boundaries. Is, is that something you'd be open to talking about? What the heck is that client going to say? <laughs> no, get out of my office. Yeah, You're yeah. fired. <laughs> Hell no. If, if an A-level client, you've built a relationship, you've built a trust, you walk on water, all that kind of stuff. They're going to fall all over you to help you. Okay. And then there's a bunch of other steps that have to happen too, so that it doesn't go into the ether. I don't need to get into that. The idea is that that type of an approach softens things up so much. And the reason it's called okay, not okay is because if you're not okay, someone that likes you will help you feel okay. That's common, you know, psychology. It doesn't, yeah. it's not fancy, but it, it, it it's the real, the reality. If I'm not feeling well, my wife will say, you, you don't seem like you're not feeling well. Can I get you a Tylenol? I mean, that's just what she's going to say right? Because she cares about me. If somebody doesn't care about you, then they're going to go, Hey, that sucks to be you. And then, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's a, bad. Yeah. Kick you rocks, know. buddy. <laughs> but, but your A-list clients, your top 10 A-list clients, if you have that kind of an approach and you've earned it, they're going to fall all over you. And that's a proactive way to get business in the door versus sitting around waiting. And it's, it's not that they don't want to refer you. It's that they just don't know how they're not thinking about it. They're busy. You have to help them help you. And that's really what's missing is, is attorneys aren't realizing that this is something that has to be done proactively now more than ever. 20 years ago, maybe not. Mm. 20 years ago, think the phone just, my father's a retired attorney. I talk about him all the time on my podcast. He never had to make a call. He never had to attend a networking event. He just was awesome. That's all that mattered. <laughs> yeah. And today there's too much awesome and not enough of intentional business development to get what you need to get in order to stay, you know, sustainable and, and relevant moving forward. Yeah. Steve, I want to be respectful of your time, but we could go on to this for hours, man. I've had a Probably. really great time. <laughs> yeah. So um, I want to say, you know, what's the best place for, uh, for people to find you if they're uh, liking what they're hearing? 
Yeah. The thing that that's easiest is to go to my website. It's fretzen.com. It's F is in Frank, R-E-T-Z-I-N.com. I've got my podcast there, Be That Lawyer, which again, I've got about 75 episodes, all like, just like Jan, all these experts talking about business development, marketing, efficiency. You don't have to listen to them all, but you could go through and pick out the ones that, that are best for you. I've got a blog. I've got videos uh, where I ins- do some instruction. You can watch a sample video of me working with my clients in a class on my YouTube channel, which is just Steve Fretzen on YouTube. And that's and you can email me at steve at fretzen.com if you want to have an initial uh, consultation. Again, if you're in that top 5% of ambitious, interested attorneys that want to grow, uh, I may be the guy. Awesome. And um, thanks. I'll definitely co sign on the podcast too. Um, I subscribe to really, really interesting guest lineups and people that if you've been kind of making the legal marketing circuit, it's people that you don't see on the other podcasts too. So super recommend. It's one I look forward to every week. But Steve, thanks again so much, brother. I really appreciate having you on the podcast. And for everybody else, I'll see you next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Eastern on the Law Firm Growth Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. For show notes, free resources, and more, head on over to casefuel.com slash podcast. Looking forward to catching up on the next episode.